You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the five bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Okay. Now, globby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog-faced... Half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! This is... Theater. Speaking of gritty and raw, well, we should talk about Stranger Things. Yeah, we so we we mentioned method acting in our last episode, which we can kind of consider part one of Stranger Things. And uh, Sam and CJ were gracious and talked to us about Speed Racer behind the wheel. We mentioned method acting, so we're actually recording from the upside down right now as we speak. Yeah, that's true. There's lights going off. There's uh Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get it's into mossy. um mossy and dark. And by the way, I should I should mention uh we just barely touched on Stranger Things. Our guests had not seen the last two episodes. Uh but it's been out for about three weeks, so we're gonna talk about Stranger Things pretty much this entire episode. Spoilers. Spoilers majorly ahead. Um so if you haven't finished it, don't uh don't listen because we're gonna jump from the end to the beginning and all over the place. Because uh, it's one of those shows that it's so much fun to talk about after you see it because you know you're left with a lot of questions, which is okay. My burning questions are I wanted to see, okay, so when the lights go off um, and there's a obvious connection with the energy and somebody who's in the upside down and it affects lights, we know that. But the scene where Joyce is by herself and Will spells out run, that's probably my favorite like three minutes of the season absolutely love that scene but it kind of drove me crazy because i'm like okay what does that look like from his side of the upside down like i understand that your presence causes these lights to go off but now we're talking about like he sees the alphabet written on the wall and he's able to light up certain light bulbs i think he sees the letters too that's what i thought because uh jimmy and i both re-watched stranger things so we watched it in its entirety, watched it all again. And I did have some questions about that, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt on that one. I thought that after she painted the letters on the wall, he could somehow see them. And yeah. is that the same episode too, where she hears him, opens up the wall, and actually sees him through almost, it looks yeah, kind of like a uh, chamber of a heart. Yeah, I know. That's kind of what I kept thinking too. So there's a lot that they didn't answer um, about the upside down and they kind of reference it during the dungeons and dragons game i felt like at the very end when lucas was like that can't be it what about the princess what about the flowers on the wall what about i believe and this is you know up for interpretation that's why shows like this are so fun but i believe that he's making a reference to all these questions that weren't answered because there there is a lot that i want to know like i would like to know is the upside down 100% L's mind and the rip in space and time caused a portal into her mind or 
is there just one monster? Is the monster and her, do they have a direct connection? Which they're, see, that's the thing. I, I looked at what a Demogorgon is because I'm not really familiar with Dungeons and Dragons terminology. And apparently the Demogorgon has, so you saw it had two heads, but the two heads almost have different personalities. One of them is more overtly destructive, and I can't remember the name of one head from the other. So I apologize if you're a and d fan. I'm not hardcore like that. But then the other head is kind of sneaky and misleading. But the thing is, with the way it ended, I don't think L was the other head. I think that Will is the other head because at the end of the show, there's this kind of Christmas vignette. Everyone's happy and you know, Will's been saved, but then he goes into the bathroom and he's coughing up slugs and the, let's just call it normal reality, will um, flash back and forth between the upside down. So I almost think a couple different things could have happened. It could be that Will will slowly change into something else that looks like him but isn't him. Or maybe there's more than one will. Mm-hmm. Like there could be another will in the upside down. I mean, that's there are so many questions about the upside down we don't know. And Jimmy mentioned there being possibly more than one monster. One thing I'd like to go over, and I'll, I'll let you start with this. If you had any crazy theories that didn't end up being right, but I had a few that just ended up not being right at all. Yeah, I did not expect her to be the one that hit. It's like when they first show glimpses of the underworld and you get you know that there's a monster. As soon as they introduce Hawkins Laboratory, my first question was, is this monster something they found or is it something they made? And what's the connection with L and the monster? Because they sent the dude in there from the lab who got... And I don't even really know what his plan was. I I think one episode hinted at that because uh, there was a flashback. L was talking to Brenner and he said... You know, we're going to send you send you farther than you ever had before. She, he shows her the picture of that man who I think is speaking French. And that's when, and I don't even know if you can call it, I don't know if it is the upside down, but there's this space that Elle goes into when she's looking for people that's just completely black. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's her first encounter with the monster. There is another scene where Brenner is talking to Ellen and says, we're going to bring that back. And I think he's referencing the monster. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. We don't really know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that uh, she was taken and she had she has these telepathic abilities and having nothing to do with the upside down. And when she rips this hole in space and time... Which she might not even have done. Maybe she just thinks that she did. Yeah. Maybe uh, Hawkins was just as surprised as she was, and that's why. Because when they sent that guy in with the abyss-looking mask on, and he disappeared, it didn't really seem like they had any goals. Like they just wanted to send him in to like see what the hell that was. Yeah, they didn't seem to have any idea about. Like he just any of went that in cause... with a flashlight, so I <laughs> I can't imagine that they like put in the effort to make this portal, and then they just sent him in with a flashlight. Yeah, because L. References, I believe, in uh, episode six that she 
had opened the gate, so to speak, and that she was truly the monster. So we, we've seen other instances throughout the show where um, by accident or on purpose, she's gone beyond the power she's established before. Like when she kills two orderlies and um, one, she snaps his neck with her mind powers. One, she sends through the wall. Um, when they're escaping, you know, it could be the CIA or another organization but when she flips the van that's chasing her and you know lucas dustin and uh mike so we've we've seen it before maybe she really did open the gate but we don't really know once again because there's so much in the show that's you know shrouded in secrecy yeah and uh the magnitude of her power increases as such that even at the end when she uh implodes like 12 heads at once essentially which was so um, awesome. Which is so awesome. And they're st- they start bleeding from their eyes. Um, e- every time the the power escalates, so we still have no idea what she's capable of. And it starts so small with turning off a fan. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you wonder, like, and... does, she, does she even know? Yeah, how, she may not. How capable. So, yeah, the season ended in such an interesting way because I feel like if they refused to do a season two and uh stranger things lives on forever as one season there's enough closure that i'm happy with it and the questions i have don't really affect the exact storyline because i don't need uh the first time that i watched it after they bring will back and they're still in the upside down and then it cuts to them outside i was like wait a minute so we're just gonna skip the whole them leaving the portal and honest, like, do you really want to watch another four minutes of them walking through Nightmare Town? I mean, now, now that the monster's dead, there's not really a threat, at least that we've seen. So. See, that's the thing because, well, this just goes back to me being a sucker for H.P. Lovecraft. And there is a, a poster of the thing in um, the basement of Mike's house, Mike and Nancy's house. And, you know, you have this big beating heart and this other world. What I thought was going to happen was completely wrong. I thought there was going to be either this huge army of monsters, like the one we see with like the Venus flytrap face, or there was going to be something like so huge and terrifying that it would, you know, swallow up our world. And that was the ultimate goal of the monster we see at first, that it was bringing humans to feed this other thing. Well, kind of like, you know, aliens, there's the queen, Mm -hmm. something akin to that, where their whole goal was to, crash into our normal world and merge it with the upside down which i guess could potentially happen there may be something we didn't see maybe that's part of what um evil will's role is if he is in fact evil will yeah that could even just be some simple plot device they decide to install or something or none at all like that's the thing with with how they ended the season you do have like jimmy said closure with some things but uh one thing we we touched on in the the last episode or part one of Stranger Things, if you will, is is that they'll probably do another season because of the popularity, but they could handle it in an anthology fashion where they might have some references to season one, but they're not really showing their hand if they're going to do that or not. They can yeah. they could be in, you know, like the uh, East Coast because they originally wanted to do this show and call it Montauk and film in New York. Yeah. I I almost wish because they they do they they have officially signed on for season two, but I almost wish that they would go to 
a different location um, and, and switch out some characters because I love the character so much, but I mean, I assume that if they pick up with the original characters, which I think is the plan, is that Will would be some sort, some variation of have abilities like L, and she'll be able to, you know, at the beginning of the season, he'll have no control over going back and forth between the upside down, and then as the season progresses, he'll maybe he'll see L. Maybe there'll be a nice little training montage of how to uh, master the upside down, and um, I don't know, but I I do think that the monster is either like a childhood fear of hers that somehow was manifested when she ripped the ripped the space and time. Um, cause it's pretty tripped out to think that if it is her mind and there's a lot of evidence to back that up, that them going through this portal lets you physically walk into somebody's mind like a John Malkovich sort of situation. My question too is if, uh, and I know when they, they found Will, he was still breathing, but he had that, I guess you'd call it tentacle or appendage in his mouth. Yeah. And we're led to believe that Barb is dead because Elle sees her and says, gone, but who's to say that Barb can't come back or any of the people who were gone? Because I think they said it was, what, a total of six? Like, there are references to two men who are hunting and disappear. It's pretty much all in that area they call Mirkwood, which is uh, a reference to The Hobbit, which I loved the Lord of the Rings references and, like, the, the Star Wars references, like, when yeah. they're on the bus and Dustin's like, no, don't tell them where we are. Lando, Lando. Yeah. Which Empire Strikes Back still would have been completely huge at that time, even though it was, what, that would have been a couple years later. Yeah. It takes place in 1983. yeah. So maybe like right before Return of the Jedi came out. Yeah, I uh, those kids were just so great. There was a lot of, uh, I call them in movies, the f*** yeah moments where the protagonist is kind of up against a wall and you think that something bad's going to happen and then all of a sudden they are empowered and they take matter into their own hands. And they start to fight back. I love those moments in movies. And they were like all over the place in this. Lots of foreshadowing too, like with uh, Lucas's slingshot. Mm-hmm. Like they keep on mentioning, he keeps on like, when one episode he collects a rock and then another episode he just has it. And he's like, yeah, this is going to take down the monster. Yeah, I did for half a second think that maybe that rock shooting right into his mouth at the very end is what knocked him back. And I'm like, innocence of a child, child's problem solving skills sometimes supersedes the laws of man i'm like i don't know that that is like from Ernest scared stupid yeah <laughs> well that's which that's, is a really scary movie by the way yeah there are some pretty dreadful things but i, I kind of thought the same you things. did things dreadful things is equal to stranger things but Meaningful then again like things. i thought to myself like oh man maybe they're gonna have this like when when the monster got struck by that rock i, I thought for a second there was gonna be like um oh what am i thinking of here i'll think of it uh oh signs hmm. You know, yeah. it's like uh, an ending like signs where it's like the whole time the monster was allergic to rocks. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, no, but he's got no hand to hand combat skills. <laughs> and the kids just start throwing rocks and it explodes, you know. Well, that's well, that would have been almost like the ending to it, which we also mentioned in the last episode. The, yeah. the start of uh, Stranger Things is a little bit like that. And I'm surprised I didn't see more reference to that because, you know, Stephen King has his paws all over this with, you know, uh, Stand By Me, they have an episode called The Body, which was the short story version of Stand yeah, By yeah, Me before yeah. it was made into a film. That's right. Um, 
L is like a combination of uh, Charlie from Firestarter and Carrie, um, and then it, where you have these kids who are dorks. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because Jimmy and I are, mm-hmm. and they have someone who goes missing because of a monster. I was like, oh, then you have this forest and you have bullies. And I'm like, wow, this is a lot like it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I got um, the second time around, whenever Joyce starts to kind of lose it, especially when the start of it is hanging up the lights. And every time she goes into her job, it's it's pretty funny to get her out into the the real world. Because they have a great way of... Some of her and Jonathan's talks together, you see it from his side and you're like, yeah, yeah, Joyce, you kind of are losing your mind. And then they can, you know, just change the tone of dialogue a little bit to make her sound completely sane. But, um, so yeah, the relationship, the mother-daughter relationship, well, mother-son, but I just kept thinking about Poltergeist and there's a scene in the original Poltergeist when she's like totally depressed and she's almost given up hope and there's this like gust of wind that comes down the stairs and uh mary beth williams who plays carol ann's mom just like has the best reaction so convincing it like gives you goosebumps but that's what it reminded me of when joyce is in the cabinet holding the lights that start blinking that aren't plugged in uh, but it's it's a lot like uh, Close Encounters, too. Close Encounters of the Third I Kind. I saw that one mentioned, and I didn't even think of that until I turned the internet. Uh, we mentioned that in the last episode. I Like, I had a mental list of, you know, films that were kind of referenced throughout, and then I turned the internet. It's like, oh, there were a lot of them that I didn't even think of. Mm-hmm. To me, the biggest ones were, you know, all the Stephen King stuff that was previously mentioned, uh, Aliens slash Aliens. Uh, the Thing was, was pretty apparent. And then Yeah, there Thing was, was huge. Poltergeist was huge for me. Um, to me, Evil Dead because of uh, the forest. And then there are a couple of shots of the, the buyer's residence with the way they frame it. Um, it's nearly identical to the way the the cabin is framed in Evil Dead. Plus, mm-hmm. workshed, <laughs> like that, like the um, the workshed slash woodshed that's in their backyard is very reminiscent of the one from uh, the Evil Dead films. Yeah, I was I just was so tickled by how they just gave you little morsels of background and little morsels of story because. You see horror movies that don't give you enough, and it's like, I understand that you're going with the whole less is more, but you got to give me something. And to have an ending that's satisfying like that. Did you read some of Stephen King's tweets that he, he was, there was like a weekend that he sent out, he had like four or five tweets that were all to uh, Stranger Things. I did not. They were pretty great. Well, one thing too, uh, one of my theories that was completely wrong, so... For a while there, we don't get any flashback of Jim Hopper's daughter, who we learn early on had supposedly died. I thought to myself, you know, they're going to throw in a twist where Elle is actually Hopper's daughter. But that yeah, didn't happen. What I, kind of what I thought, too, and I'm glad that it didn't, because that would have been almost too convenient. That's yeah. like, here's an extra daughter. He's missing one. Bam. Which I'm, I, I think that's one of those deals where... They almost set up an under-the-radar red herring because then there is uh, one of the later episodes. He has a flashback of his daughter who's um, a lot younger. And that <clears throat> I won't say I teared up during that episode because he has a daughter who I believe um, dies from cancer. But mm-hmm. I was like 
this is dust in my eyes. I'm not crying. Yeah. I've been making a lasagna for one. Well, then, like, that's one thing that Stranger Things does really, really well is providing insight into characters through very um, short scenes or flashbacks. And it makes you want to go and rewatch the entire series, which we both did, because after that episode, it's like you you see in the later episodes why Jim Hopper would care about this kid who's missing um, even though he's framed as a slob in the early episodes, kind of. But then when you rewatch it, like, you understand his motives so much better, why he's pretty much, like, uh, cutting fences open on this uh, government property and risking death, which, that's one of those theories. Who is Jim Hopper, really? Was yeah. he just a police officer before, or is he something more? Yeah, so we know he's a big city cop. So, yeah, there's so many mysteries about Hopper. Here's one of the... Uh tweets that Stephen King had that was hilarious. Watching Stranger Things is looking watching Steve King's greatest hits. I mean that in a good way. That's high praise. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen King's like, yeah, you uh, you guys took the tone of my work and you did it justice. He Then uh, a couple hours later, he sent out another one that said, Stranger Things, is it possible the evil man with the white hair isn't dead? Stay tuned. Very much. Well, I'm thinking too, that could be where they take the anthology route because they could have him somewhere else setting up a different experiment or just have him on the periphery and have him be the connecting thread because Dr. <clears throat> Brenner, we don't really know much of anything about him. We know some of his past. We know he was uh, one of the people behind MK ultra, which was a real life CIA experiment that went wrong. There was LSD involved. Uh, the funniest thing I read that was a real-life experience was there was this guy who was just driving around Washington, D.C., and he thought everyone was monsters. Weird. So I don't think they really proved a lot with MKUltra. And then people died as well. It was just bad news, and they yeah, shut it, it was, down. It was interesting to see a plot point ripped from the headlines. Well, not head, maybe headlines 40 years ago. Yeah, so uh, something that really kind of struck me as like a real strong inconsistency that I turned to Reddit and like most things in life, Reddit solved my problem. But the scene where the boys are hiding in the bus, which is an awesome hangout, by the way, uh, they jump in the bus and they see it's like four or five guys approaching the bus. And then within five seconds, they're all taken care of. And Hopper is, like, not even breaking into a sweat. And he's all like, all right, guys, let's go. So I thought, okay, that's – I don't really buy that for a second. I mean, I'm glad Hopper's here to save the day, but come on now. So I guess that's, like, another, like, theory on the internet is just like you said, who was he before and what brought and what brought you here. And also I was a little taken back when – I found out that Hopper actually was the one who gave up the kid's location in the gym. And he was true to his word. He was like, the only thing I care about is getting that kid alive because I'm obviously trying to raise my daughter uh, incarnate through you. And everything that I didn't get to do with my daughter, now I'm like trying to make, you know, uh, compensate for it uh, with Will Byers. But it's like nothing else mattered. And I thought that was really interesting. And there's a big portion of. You can call it an interrogation because Hopper breaks in once by himself. Then he comes back with Joyce Byers and he says to Joyce, you know, that second time later on in the season, hey, hey, everything's okay. And there's a large part of the interrogation we don't see. Like they're 
on the edge, uh, this government agency, of saying, well, this time you're going to have an overdose, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like they're going to kill him. But um, Hopper asserts himself, and you don't see a lot of the interrogation. And then there's this part two, you know, he's he's given up L for some reason. And, uh, you know, there's later on in the finale, there's like these g-men like feds who come and pick him up and drive away and you don't really know the reason for it so you're like okay so this whole time has he been like playing the part of a small town cop and he He, is trying to infiltrate this laboratory and he's mm -hmm. just watching and waiting and like he really has been collecting data or like he was one or yeah because there's this whole uh wink nudge arrangement that they set up and of, and of course we don't see any or hear any details of the arrangement except um that will lives and yeah then at the end he just gets in the car and you assume that he must be working with them or uh maybe he had intel all along i i think that he's like definitely uh a trained killer and he like moved to a small town with the intention of, you know, like they said, the the worst thing that's ever happened is an owl flew into what's her name's hair because he thought it, he thought it was a nest. I think that's exactly why he moved there because he never wanted any trouble ever again. So are you saying that Jim Hopper has a history of violence? Oh, <laughs> I liked it better when it was called Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, well, there are a lot of movies like that where it's like, ah, oh, yeah. You're just rehashing another plot, but I'm I'm in for the what, ride. Yeah, like American Ultra. Yeah, but I, I that's I think that's why ultimately Jim Hopper was uh, my favorite character because he does have this aura of mystery, but then you also at the same time know what his core values are. Uh, like I said, his his turn was very satisfying because you thought. What's going to happen based on the first episode, if you hadn't watched the rest of them, is that he's just going to be the guy there, um, the cop who's just completely stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, your typical 80s slasher film cop who says, it's not a problem. These kids are just falling on uh, all of these pitchforks and dying. It's all accidents. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason Voorhees hasn't come back. Kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh, I see what you did there. You completely had me at first a little kind of loathing this character. And now I love this character. And then uh, he has, he probably has, at least from my perspective, more layering. Um, even though the other characters are very layered just because of what he went through with his daughter, what he used to do or where he used to be, well, which was a big city yeah. opposed to where he is now, which is, you know, this podunk town in Indiana. So it's like, wow, they really, they, well, we can talk about, um, we can talk about how they nailed every character, really. Yeah, the side characters. I was going to say with Jim. Oh, yeah. At the, the second to last episode when him and Joyce bust into the lab and they just walk right into the like backyard and they catch him right away. For a split second, I was like, you idiot. What did you think was going to happen? And then I realized, oh, yeah, that is what he thought was going to happen. He needed to talk to them. Um, but, yeah, the side characters... Mr. Clark, was that his name? Yeah, the, the oh science God. teacher. So, oh, the, yeah, the science teacher was awesome. I meant the dad. Oh, do you mean which dad? Lonnie? Not Lonnie. Ted? Ted, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, he could have he been the worst actor ever, and it wouldn't really have detracted from the show too much. But 
he was so much fun to watch for being like a totally useless character. He was just like the totally like zoned out horror movie. Well, if dad. If, if if Mike had a girl uh, in the house, we'd we'd totally know about it, <laughs> right? Like right? Wouldn't we know? Well, Nancy, why would that, Mike and Nancy? They wouldn't be involved in something like this. Yeah, and I love when uh, he's the only one left at the dinner table, and he's all, "What I do?" Um, and, but yeah, the science teacher was the science teacher was really good. My favorite of the the kids was definitely Dustin. Mm-hmm. Dustin was my favorite, and I forget the names of the two boys. One was uh, one Lucas? of the boys was Troy. Oh yeah, the bully. I forget the other one because he was just there to nod and be a, like a minion. Uh, of course, you have Barb, who, if you look at uh, if you look at Goonies stills, Barb is oh, she's like the Martha lot like Clinton. Steph. Yeah, like there's a shot where Steph has these the big glasses on. Yeah, You're like yeah, oh, yeah. I see where they drew inspiration for that. Actually, Dustin too. Um, if you look at his hairstyle. And the way he kind of talks, he's a little bit like Chunk. And they 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 made him do that thing that was like the truffle shuffle, like the equivalent. Yeah, he had the he had a crazy arm trick. Which, okay, so two things that I was really shocked they didn't work that into the story. Which, as soon as I saw him do that arm thing, I was like, okay, well, how's he? Get, he's going to get out of trouble with that. He's got to. And then in that same episode, there was like four different characters that made a reference to how good at chemistry nancy was i was like okay we get it she's gonna save the day with her chemistry smarts and then they never went back to it i was kind of eh, kind of like hurling oh, molotov okay. cocktails at a monster i don't really care at all but you know something i had to something i had to think about i think the biggest mistake that stranger things made so throughout the series you're not really sure about steve's character but they're like okay he does end up being a decent guy why did no one just sock Tommy H right in his stupid face? Yeah, that, that guy kid was, was just like they really nailed his he character. He's just like the typical, uh, you know, sci-fi horror '80s crossover yeah, douchebag. Like no redeeming qualities at all. Yeah, they nailed him because I hated him. But I almost thought that it was. I thought it was cool that Steve came back at the last second. But I almost thought it was uh, like a little bit too late. Like certainly I didn't expect it, but. Just because something happens in the horror movie that I didn't expect doesn't mean that it's always going to be a good thing. It felt tacked on a little bit. It felt really tacked on. But I am glad that she didn't end up with Jonathan because, well, for a couple reasons. One, because it's just not believable. Nope. There's no there's no scene where they have on-screen chemistry. I mean, even when they're laying in bed together, they're both like two cold fish. And this, I might cut this out if this gets uh, a little uh, awkward, but I think Jonathan's supposed to be gay. See, I'm not really sure. Because like, he's like real sensitive. He said he hunted and cried himself for a week. He is like the awkward misfit with the camera, kind of strikes me as asexual, and doesn't really ever like show any like sexual interest towards Nancy. I don't know. That's a thought that I had. I don't know. I, I don't think they reveal enough yeah. to say definitively what his sexuality is because yeah, I, I agree with that. He's really just the outcast or one of the outcast characters. I mean, he the has weird a kid. Yeah, he has he has a lot in common with with um, Barb, even though they're in different ends of the spectrum. He's more of like that punk rock kid. Like he even has a scene where he's, uh, you know, playing the clash for Will and you hear 
Joyce and Lonnie, whether it's in person or on the phone, I can't remember fighting, and he just cranks some music up. Mm-hmm. And he's all he's also referencing like you know Bowie, and I, that's what I kind of got is that he's an outsider and that he's really awkward. I mean, he he could be gay. I know that that's one thing that I think the thing that gets Jonathan the most. When he has a fight with Steve, is Steve saying that his family's, you know, just a bunch of failures and mm-hmm. that it's no wonder that Will died. That seems to, you know, rile him up the most. I think Steve does refer to him as like a, you know, homosexual slur and Jonathan keeps walking away and doesn't care. Yeah. But that'd be interesting to add, like, what if they do something like it where they have, here's 1983 and what happened 20 years later. Yeah, there were, there were a couple of those open-ended, like when they were doing the search party. Uh, the chief walked away. I don't remember the two side cops. I don't either. They I just remember okay. the one guy because he was in uh, Daredevil TV series. On the opposite oh, side he of a lot, he was he was just like one of the criminals. Like he's the, one of the guys that uh, I think I think Daredevil like beat up his car and then beat him him up. But Daredevil beat up a lot of people. Sound, sounds memorable. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was a scene where one of the cops says to the other one, he's like, you know, they, they slept together years back or something like that. He made a reference to them having sex, meaning the sheriff and Joyce. So, but, I mean, it, he also said it like could be a rumor. I mean, you really have to use your problem solving skills with this show because just because a character says something or does something, it doesn't mean that that character can't be deceiving you. you yeah, because that, that cop with the glasses, he, to me, would be like the new cop on the force who'd probably lived in the town for a lot of his life. And he seemed to be the youngest as well. Yeah. So he's probably like trying to stir up a conversation you know, with an older cop like, oh, so... Uh, Hopper totally slept with Joyce Byers, huh? And you can tell by the way the other cop acts that he doesn't really care. It's just like, hey, you're searching for a child or a child's body right now. This may not be the time and place to bring up such things. Not cool, bro. It's like, get it together, man. Well, it's funny, too, because that same cop gets punched in the face by Jonathan Byers when he has that fight with Steve. Yeah. So one of the... Uh, fight back moments when they go to the military surplus store. They set up this plan, which I think is kind of, I'll go ahead and use that word cockamimi, to set the bear trap and then catch the monster in the bear trap and then soak the whole house in gasoline and then light it on fire but only let it burn for like two seconds and then put it out. It seems to me that the monster, the Demogorgon, cannot be killed when it's outside of the Upside Down, because at the end, there were like 20 CIA, whatever they were, with automatic machine guns going at this thing for like 10 minutes. And this could also be, you know, they needed to not kill the thing to keep the story going. But it would make sense to me if the thing can't be killed when it's in our world. Yeah, that makes sense too, because, you know, they, um, Nancy... And Jonathan, and then eventually, with Steve, he shows up. They they pummel it. Uh, it gets shot a few times in that scene. You know that it's on fire for a little bit, and it escapes. And there's really no physical damage registered. And then once again, in the finale, when they get to the school, this monster uh, is getting pumped full of bullets. And nothing seems to affect it at all. It just keeps on going. So that might just be like a metaphysical thing where 
it has like if you wanted to get the nitty gritty science, which they don't, um, it may just be like it's made of different material that uh, doesn't register as organic in our world. So when it's over here, it's just like, hey, I'm almost indestructible, which I guess maybe it is indestructible in our world. And even in the upside down, uh, who knows? Maybe that's the only place you can kill it. Maybe the Demogorgon is the upside down L. And if L dies, the Demogorgon dies and vice versa. Because they don't really ever show L in the... The only time that she's on a different dimension is when she's in that uh, Blackpool or whatever that was with the life jacket. Well, see, that's that's a, a really interesting point because I thought that's what... Um, that's one of the things that I thought Jim Hopper and Joyce were going to find when they went to the Upside Down, that there were uh, kind of like an invasion of the Body Snatchers thing where all these cocoons were being built in the Upside Down. Mm-hmm. And that was part of these two worlds merging is that maybe they were breeding these uh, these Upside Down versions of people to come into the real world or to, you know, have powers um, maybe not similar or equal to the monster, but pretty close. I guess they could be, still do be, that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like if L had one of those hoses down her throat or the incubator, or whatever, and somehow she managed to escape what that would look like a couple years later uh, after you've been able to adapt somewhat. Because that's the thing that I think still remains in mystery to me after watching the show. Like I kicked a couple of scenarios around in my head. It's like, okay, you have a scenario where L just escaped from the laboratory somehow and it was just our world. You have a scenario too where maybe she did open the gate to the upside down and went into it and then escaped back into our real world like through the forest through one of those portals that uh, the monster seems to be able to open. So there are a lot of different ways you think about it and there's not a clear-cut explanation. Yeah, I'm. that's why I'm afraid if they pick right up with next season with the same location and the same characters... I'm afraid they would either give us a uh, ending or a conclusion or even just answers to questions that that don't hold up as well as like we imagine they should be answered or if they would sum it up too quickly. I don't know. I love uh, how Fargo starts a new season with completely new characters, but it's the same aesthetic. It's the same feel. It's the same atmosphere it's the same writing style it's the same shooting style so if you like season one of that show you're guaranteed to like season two i i I like that shows are doing that more yeah because i i would lean more toward you know for my preference what i would like to see would be an anthology whether it's keeping with the 80s look and feel and venturing into new territory or just like having this be tangentially related where the upside down does somehow come into play. Maybe there's a character from the first season who's not central to the plot, but having it affect other people in a different environment. So it feels like it's new, but with some of the same trappings, I would love that because um, I think we, we mentioned it in a past episode, but originally the Halloween series was supposed to be an anthology that there was a new Halloween movie literally every Halloween. But the problem was people loved Michael Myers so much that they wanted to see him in the sequel, 
so John Carpenter season was another witch. So John Carpenter was pissed, but when you got the Halloween three season of the witch, they didn't have Michael Myers, and people just hated that movie. I need to rewatch that one because I feel like when I watched it for the first time, I was indifferent to it. I love the soundtrack, but I, I feel like it's a, a different direction and it's something that's been established like with Fargo where you can successfully have, you know, the same tone with different characters and people are going to really be caught up in it. So I think if they, if they go that route, people might be more satisfied because I don't really know if I like you, Jimmy want to have all my questions answered. Let me, let me turn to my little companion, my companion guide here. I was watching the acrobat and the flea today. And when they're walking, following the magnets, I feel like they also had a couple of mysteries that were pretty easily put together to, uh, make non horror fans kind of like be excited. Like, Oh, yep. I was right. I guessed it. There was a lot of shocking moments where it was like, oh, I would not have expected that. But then there's also when they're talking about the science teachers talking about the forced magnetic pull and it being really, really strong. Um, And then somebody mentions a compass and those two scenes are back to back. Uh, I thought, well, yeah, let's we can use a compass. Uh, I can't remember exactly how the scene plays out, but. It wasn't like the most shocking moment of the show, and I think maybe is it where they they're in um, Mike's basement and they all get out their compasses. Yeah, and Dustin's explaining, <laughs> "Hey, you guys are completely dense. True North is that way, mm-hmm. and these compasses are not pointing that way." Yeah, when he said so, it was something like, "My compass is broken," I think. Yeah, it was like, "Oh, because they're pointing towards the magnet." But then it's like another three minutes before you realize that, so it feels kind of good to solve little mysteries. Well, plus two. Uh, I did love the Star Wars references because you have the Yoda figure, which Mike shows. <laughs> Mike shows L before he realizes like the full extent of her powers. It's like, oh, Yoda can do this, and then he like brushes everything off of the table. And then uh, I think my favorite one might have been the reference to Lando when they were trapped in the bus. Yeah, and Nancy's yeah, yeah. on the walkie-talkie, like Mike, where are you? And Dustin's like, no, no, don't tell me where you are, Lando, Lando. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really love that. I. Like I said, Dustin is obviously my favorite kid, but it might be because he's like, um, even though he has his moments, the most level-headed, and you can tell he's the one who is like the mediator between uh, Lucas and Mike because they're best friends, but they also clash the most. Mm-hmm. Like Lucas is not really a, a good friend of El, but here's here's one thing that points back to why people like Stranger Things so much. If you remove even all of the wacky stuff, like on a human level... If you're a guy, you probably identify with Lucas because you've been in that situation before where you see your best friend and he's all crazy about a girl. And you're like, you're not even acting like the same person you were. Mm-hmm. What's the deal? And I think the reason people are really in love with Barb is the same reason because you see through her. This is, you know, from the female perspective, she sees Nancy kind of not acting like herself. She's with Steve who, like, Barb really doesn't know about Steve a whole lot except that he's popular and he does a lot of times act like a douche so she feels like she's also losing her best friend and she's disappointed so all of that like um Mike and Nancy's mother she's saying hey Nancy you can talk to me and you know teenage hormones like you throw all these things in the mix like growing up in a small town like Jonathan Byers and not being mm-hmm. into the same things people are into I can identify with that one because I was a metalhead and can't know annoyance just like hey 
there are five other people here who are into that. Yeah. You know, like, and, and plus two, when I grew up, uh, I know it, it's cool to be a nerd now, but like, I, I wasn't exactly uh, the stereotypical geek because I was also like on the football team. So I was like in this weird, uh, it's like a weird Venn diagram. You were in an upside me. down of social culture. Yeah. So I guess I was just, I was kind of popular, but I was still a nerd and I didn't know how it happened, but, but people still made fun of like my Boba Fett and Darth Vader shirts. And now if I wear a Darth Vader Boba Fett shirt, people are like, Hey man, that's cool. And I'm like, where were you eight years ago, yeah. brother? Dude, you should throw on some suspenders and pull your underwear up between your butt cheeks. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, the scene, the, the, uh, as far as acting performances, I think that the, Worst actor award goes to uh, Nancy. Yeah. That scene where she comes home and she's crying because Barb's gone. It looks like they just sprayed her in the face with a spray ball. And they were like, try your best, girl. Just go. But that's the thing, though. The competition is fierce if you're looking at levels of acting. Because like we we mentioned uh, previously in this episode and on the last episode they really do pay attention to the minor characters because they really believe in this world. You know, like I know it's uh, the Duffer brothers who I don't know if we've mentioned, but they're like the executive producers and kind of the creative force behind it. Even though I believe there was a different writer and director listed for every episode, if I remember Mm -hmm. right. But the amount of love they put to building this world and the people in it is insane. And I think that's another reason why people, love Stranger Things, despite, like, okay, they're not into horror or they're not really into sci-fi. It's just, you can, a lot of times you can uh, you can feel the passion behind a project. Like, I think it's really tangible in, mm-hmm. this, in this project. Yeah, and it does, you do feel so close to these characters, I think, because you literally, aside from going to Lonnie's house, you never leave the town. It's all in, it's all in one enclosed location. And I, I don't think it hits you you don't think about it as you're watching it because you're so wrapped up in everything that's going on and there's so many distractions. But when you step back and think about it, that's really rare for a TV show to uh, stay in one location with a base of like 10 characters at the most. And by episode two, you've met everybody and you meet some side characters like Lonnie's girlfriend and whoever that science teacher is on a date with, but he's, he's doing well for himself. It's like Mr. Clark. Hey, well, half her own by midnight. I don't, I don't really know about playing the thing for her because she seemed to be really grossed out by, well, I love that line too. It's like, Oh, they did all that with, you know, a microwave bubble gum. Yeah. 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 And he also doesn't strike me as the type of guy that's uh, probably very good with women. So he like accidentally got a date. Whereas the chief bones, a librarian, and then gets busted out on it. That was yeah. that was pretty great. Some of the the whole the whole scene where he uh, is at the bar and he's setting that guy up from Hawkins and talking about who owns the quarry and is it state owned or is it private owned? And he says it's his daughter's spelling bee. I don't. I mean, as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, this is obviously a flashback. See that that was that was a great scene because I was like, wait a second, this isn't a flashback after they had their conversation. Yeah, yeah. And then he mentions the lab and I was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And then he like smashes I just I love his attitude of shoot now, ask questions later. And he he can he like 
he can just bash his way through any scene in life. He'll just punch his way through if he has Pretty to. Pretty much. See, the thing I didn't catch the first time was that the other guy at the bar was the one posing as the cop on the TV. I don't know if I, I pause it there. Cop or... on the TV? Remember, um, so Hopper was sitting down and talking to someone, and there was a, like a, a broadcast from the quarry, and there was a reporter talking to a guy in a police uniform, and that was the guy he was talking to in the bar. He's like, hey, uh, that because that's why it led to that, like saying, hey, uh, that place out there, uh, the quarry, that's, that's state run, isn't it? And that's when the cop agreed or the fake cop agreed. Yeah, it was. So Hopper could be like, oh, no, it isn't. It just run by this. It was what, the Sadler Company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Bill like Sadler. that. It's like he has another location just up the road yeah it'll be it'll be exciting to see how they um i wonder how well they'll be able to to keep it hid so what i'm thinking is they should have a hopper spinoff that has kind of like a starsky and hutch feel which is like oh no we got monsters at the quarry let's get them boys like transport them back 10 years to the big city oh yeah i know i wonder i wonder how they're gonna uh, elaborate on that well i could go on about stranger things I had I had written down the name of each episode on a piece of paper this morning and then I was going to write my specific notes from each episode. I like have I've geeked out over this show so hardcore and other projects have gotten close and have gotten me all riled up. It follows did for a while but it follows also it had that 80s vibe with the synthesizer score. But then they also had devices that were way far advanced ahead of our time. So it's a it's a different idea than it is with Stranger Things. Stranger Things could be a VHS that was like literally pulled out of a chest and you'd never know. There's no there there's there's no ongoing joke like nudge, we're from the eighties. It just is. You know, there's there's no Except for maybe uh, this is something Sam mentioned. In the first installment uh, of these two episodes, the only the only giveaway might just be uh, the cleanliness or the clean nature of, you know, the the shooting style. It's not grainy or anything, but you know, you could also argue that let's just say what they were going for is you find this VHS tape in a box, and I'm not I'm not saying that this is going into like sinister territory. Or rehashing that because that movie was definitely not set in the eighties. But like somebody found this VHS tape in a box and just remastered it or something. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of film grain, but you know we were talking earlier about how they replicate they emulated all the best parts of eighties film because if they really wanted to go through with it and they would have had like bad camera work. It would have had to be have some fairly bad acting. The over-the-top melodramatic love scenes and some of those lines with her and Steve at the beginning were hilarious. Then they, I think they were... The, the director is trying to make you roll your eyes at this dialogue because it's so cheesy and it's so over-the-top. And I think if the whole show kind of played out that way, it might be more true uh, and more authentic to 80s. But I, I don't think we would have been as captivated by the, the characters and the storytelling either. I also think that one was almost a nod because, okay, you have 
a monster that kind of pushes out of the wall and you have a character named Nancy who's trying to trap said creature and she also has a cheesy romance so it's like oh nightmare on is elm she street sleeping okay yeah well that's that's the thing too like when uh jonathan byers is over and he's in the bed and she says and he asks um do you want to keep the lights on and she says yes it's like oh you want to stay awake huh any specific reason you'd like say to it, stay say awake it. <laughs> who's coming for you is it from- oh, okay <laughs> you can't name the monster freddy but yeah it is interesting that's like the one 80s horror movie that i have not made that connection with and now now we have that too yeah, that's that's the one that I didn't think of until I was reading some other stuff. Even though I like some of the ones, they don't. I mean, I'd, I'd say most of the references they're not really trying to hide. Yeah, I mean, there's some that are like stretching a li- quite a bit. Oh, now I can I can mention the aliens thing now that we don't have Sam and CJ on yeah, the phone. Yeah, so that was really weird. I thought that was cool right off the bat, and then later I was like, wait a minute. So you have the kids that are like being used as incubators or like growth chambers. And you have eggs. And the sticky web-like substance. And the egg really was what got me. I was like, uh, you could have made it look a little bit different. That was the one moment I referenced in the past episode, if you listen to it, where I was kind of taken out of the story for a few minutes. Because, like, the suits that they have on, kind of the the darker lighting, too. Uh, I was like, oh, man, I I get what you're doing here, but... You didn't have to do that because the egg does show up in episode six very briefly. You know, when L is in the upside down or that dark place and the monster is leaning over something, yeah. they just flash the egg really quickly, which I didn't notice until the second oh, watching. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So I was like, I, I get what you're doing. And most, not, I shouldn't say most of the other references, but a lot of the other references I caught. Definitely, you know, stand by me. Um, the similarities to like it and ET, Poltergeist, um, the major bullet. ones. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't like that decision. But I also realized that I'm basing my dislike off of a theory that I made up too. So uh. I'm assuming that they're gonna go ahead and just take care of that in season two. But yeah, I did think like I felt like you're telling me that you're growing. Something, but then something's also being hatched. That's like two different ways for something to be created. So I don't know. Maybe it's another creature altogether. Maybe that's what they were trying to get across. That's the thing, too, because we don't know if the monster itself even has a sex or if it's both sexes. It could be hermaphroditic. It, it could be hermaphroditic where it can breed um, or it could be male and it somehow uses the human body Regardless of the sex of the human body, to breed something else, mm-hmm. so there like, are, uh, can like a, a person's bodily organs are like just the perfect uh, growing conditions for whatever reason. Yeah, kind of like you know the face huggers don't really have a sex; they're just these weird things that you know crawl into humans, and that's kind of what I thought. They'll because, do what they need to do to survive, yeah. basically. Yeah, I kept I kept thinking that whether they're. Whether it's an alien that they found or whether it was more like created in the lab or whatever, I think that they should have shown more than one. Like, I I feel like I'm supposed to believe that there's just one. And then if we're going to go from there, I would think that there's a reason why there's only one. Like, that's that's where I keep going back to Elle and that being the upside down version of her. 
other than the fact that she did say she was the monster, but that was referring to the crack in the wall. And that's the thing, too, because if you if you think about where this monster has been, the monster's hunting takes place geographically within a very tight circle, even within this world. So you're almost led to believe that so L goes into the dark place or the upside down and kind of stumbles upon this monster, which is geographically close in the upside down world that there should be more of them if you keep expanding outward. Yeah. And that that might be something if they do continue with these uh, these same characters or the same theme that might come into play later. Like maybe there's a place that's very similar to Hawkins Laboratory that's doing something similar, but there's a catch. There's a difference that, you know, makes it stick out and maybe they found more of them and they know how to contain them. And, um, I guess what we saw in this season of stranger things is that this government agency, whether it's a CIA or something else, they do make mistakes. Like they made a mistake with Benny. Yeah. The, he's the guy who runs the diner and, uh, he was the one who came across L and called what he thought was social services. I think he did, but, well, this this agency has all of these lines tapped. They're also bugging other places with, with wiretaps, and this lady shows up and shoots Benny in the head, but this, this agency, they leave the body, which gets the the actual legitimate police on their trail. Yeah, but I, but I think if they would have taken the body that they would have created a new search party for Benny and they thought that they could just that, that you're right. That was their mistake. They thought yeah. they could just make it look like a suicide and that would be the end of it. But unfortunately hoppers on the case. Well, that's the thing too. I like the fact that well, at first I didn't like that when I was overanalyzing it, but then I thought about it again and overanalyzed it even more. And I came to the conclusion that it's good that they had this agency make mistakes because if they were all powerful and all knowledgeable, we'd lose scenes like the one where they just send that guy into that beating mossy heart. Like you get the sense that the agency had L stumble across this, you know, monster that they could use as a weapon, but they're not really sure how to get to they're it, what it can do, it too, yeah. or that it's going to dismantle people. And that's the thing too. You don't see the monster commit violence against humans. Yeah, uh, how bad can the monster be? It only killed Barb. Because you see it's not it that bad. Yeah, you see it. You see it drag Barb. You, I think, did you see it feasting on the deer? I think it was hunched it, over the it deer. Just, like, pulled the deer. Oh yeah, in the in the black pool. So you think maybe this monster, like we've said, is is using the humans for uh, a higher purpose, a more sinister purpose. Yeah, which I like. Hmm. Yes. Well, that's about it for us. Boom. We solved the mystery. We are actually writing season two. I, I didn't want to tell you guys this, but uh, it's not going to be picked up by Netflix. It's just something we're, we're going to write our own season. It's a it's a buddy cop, uh, almost comedy, and L is Hopper's partner in crime. That was the that was the reference at the end of season one where he leaves the, the egos and the leftovers from the holiday party. That's just a build up to them being... Uh, partners else super sassy somehow now she she has a full vocabulary hopper's always rolling his eyes at her she's always rolling his eyes at him they get into a lot of trouble lots of lots of laugh tracks l gets even coming this fall to nbc yeah i could keep talking about this for hours but unfortunately we're out of time however uh you can listen to other episodes that we have created 
at uh, at our SoundCloud. You can go to soundcloud.com slash movie show theater. We have a movie show theater Facebook page, and there is the 90.7 Facebook page. Lots of ways to get a hold of us. We would love for you to send us an idea for a movie to uh, review. Better yet, come on the show and review it with us. It could be your favorite movie. It could be your least favorite movie. We'll do any movie in the world, but we won't do The Room. Well, <laughs> well, in honor of Stranger Things, should we Facebook also... Facebook message me. I'll do The Room. In honor of Stranger Things, should we, should we be ominous and mysterious and point to a future episode? You might be hearing a familiar voice return soon. Yeah. To our ranks. That's all we're going to say. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we're going to go and watch the opening to Stranger Things about 12 times. So And overanalyze the font. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. Theater. Movie Show Theater. Theater.